The reading today is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God our Father for everything in the name of the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please do keep the Bible open in front of you. We're actually looking at 4 verse 17 through to 5 verse 20, so it is a long passage. That's the the downside. The upside is we're going to step through fairly um, chunk at a time, basically, you can see in the sermon outline. And the other good thing is Steve's at Wilston Windsor, Rucks in Germany, Tom goes to night church, so tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon when we meet, I won't be grilled, so the pressure's way off. So how about we pray as we look at God's word? Heavenly Father, we know that it's only you who can change our hearts and who can transform our minds, and we pray that you would be doing that again this morning. Please open our eyes to the light of the gospel of Jesus. Please soften our hearts. Please correct us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, we were talking with friends, and they were telling us about how one of their kids, a little boy, they told him about the electric fence at Grandma and Grandpa's place, I think it was. Don't touch the electric fence, it bites. You'll get a shock, you know, reasoned with this child, explained all the pros, and just don't do it. And then turned around to the next thing, and they hear this, Ow, Daddy, it bites! Why do you do that? Why do people act like that? They know exactly what is going to happen, and yet they do it anyway, and trust me, it's not just kids, is it? 
adults can do the same thing. We know the consequences. We've had it explained. We can see, we can reason it out. And yet it's like we willfully do the wrong thing. And with the kids, yeah, there's a kind of a curiosity factor. But with adults, I think you can take that out. We, we know the consequences. We know that we're going against our better judgment. If we stay up late all hours, the older you get, the longer you're going to carry that into the week. And yet we still do it. We kind of get carried away and we defy reason and good sense. Our entire life can be lived in that kind of way, can't it? Where we go against better judgment, we choose folly over wisdom. We become kind of hard-hearted as we pursue pleasure and short-term gain. Um, as we follow our greed and lack of judgment and our ever-hardening heart, we can kind of live our life like that. And I think that's the kind of life you have described in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 17 to 19. Have a look at it. Verse 17 talks about the life of the Gentile, meaning, in this context, meaning someone without God. Um, the life of the Gentile, verse 17, someone without God. Their thinking is futile, in verse 17. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from God. Why? Because of the ignorance that's in them. Ignorance that's due to the hardening of their hearts. Almost this willful ignorance, ignoring of God. Verse 19, they've lost sensitivity and given themselves over to sensuality, chasing those feelings, the good times. Verse 19, they indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. When you look at those verses 17 to 19, it's fairly grim, but... If we're honest with ourselves, it describes the world around us, doesn't it? It describes the normal human life. It's an honest assessment of life without God in it. It's not politically correct to say all that. But in the cool light of day, when you see things for what they are, yes, that's the description. Verses 17 to 19 describe life lived our way without God. Um, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says Christians shouldn't live like that. He insists that Christians shouldn't live like that. Um, verse 20, he says, that's not the way of life you learned when you heard the gospel of Jesus. The Apostle, he's concerned for the godliness of the Christians in Ephesus, and that same concern comes through to us today. This concern that as Christians we live a life that's consistent with the truth of the gospel. Last week we saw, we came to this major turning point in letter 4 verse 1. He's had three chapters of all the theology, the background, the understanding of our identity in Christ, who we are as the church, all this theology, and then 4 verse 1, live in a manner that is worthy of your calling, that's worthy of being part of the church of Christ, part of being this display home in the middle of the universe that shows God's wisdom and brings glory to God. Paul's urging these people to walk in a way that is worthy of all that. And so should we, as Christians. Live in a manner that's consistent with being called a Christian. We've got to be godly, he's saying. So in verses 17 to 24, he tells the Ephesians to put off and to put on. If you're following through, like I said in the first sermon, if you're following through in Colossians, you'll see the same sort of stuff in chapter 3 of Colossians, this same sort of clothing imagery, take off, put on. Um, look again at verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its sinful desires, or deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on 
the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 23 sits there in the middle. So verse 22 is put off the old self. Verse 24 is put on the new self. The actions happening there in verse 23 as we're made new in the attitude of our minds. It's the work that happens in your minds, in your hearts, the transformation that God does. Verse 23 is how it happens, how you can become godly as God works in your heart. Um, Godliness is not something you can achieve by rule-keeping. It comes through a changed heart, a renewed mind that changes your desires. The little kid who's curious and goes against what they've been told. Now, this is the change of heart that means you respect what you've been told. You don't go against it from curiosity or any other reason. Um, Being godly comes from a changed heart, a renewed mind, and ultimately it is God who does that. God who does that work through his spirit in us takes his word, transforms our minds. That results in a change in behaviour. You, you can argue that rules may help people be godly, put the rules down and you know what to do and what not to do, but you can follow rules without really doing it from the heart. Um, it's the gospel of Jesus that changes hearts and minds as God works in us by his mighty power and changes us. So the Apostle Paul, he doesn't give rules, he reasons with the Ephesians and with us. He tells us verse 17 to 19 what it's like to not have God in your life and then says, but we do, and so this is how we should be living. Um, Back in chapter, uh, verse 17, he insists they live this way. Back in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3, he prays for them, prays that God would be the one transforming and renewing. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus that leads to godliness. It's God's work in us with the truth of the gospel, verse 23, that changes us motivates us from the heart to put off the old self, the old way of living, and to put on the new way of living, the new self. And then in the next section um, of the passage from verse 25 through to 5 verse 2, the apostle, he's continuing to reason with us. He describes um, how we ought to change in how we speak and in how we act. So verse 25 through to verse 28, we're to put off lies, to stop living lies. Verse 25, put off the false health, the falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. When he says your neighbour, I don't think he's talking about the person over the fence. I think he's talking about your brother or sister in Christ, your fellow Christian, because he says in verse 25, we are members of one body. So don't lie to each other. Don't deceive each other. He's already um, explained back in chapters 2 and 3 how we're reconciled to each other and to God. So we're united in Christ, united together, united with God. So don't... This, Why would you deceive each other? Why would you lie? Why would you be false to each other and dishonest? It's like saying, stop pretending. Stop um, hiding behind a facade. Be honest with each other. We're all the same. No one's any better than anybody else. We're all striving to live for God. And then still thinking about um, how we're to live honestly with each other. Verse 26 talks about don't let your anger get away with you. Verse 27 says, um, don't let the devil use you like that. Verse 28 um, talks about earning an honest living rather than stealing from others. Earn so that you'll have to share with those who are in need. Looking back over verses 25 to 28, you can see um, you can't get much more practical than he's getting. He's just diving into every part of your life, the way you live it out together. If you are a Christian, he's saying it should show. You should see it in the way that you treat one another. Um, You can't go on calling yourself a Christian if you're not going to live like it, if you're not going to show it in your life. 
Um, and you can't go on with the futility of thinking that you once lived in in verses 17 to 19. He's insisting if God is at work in us, in your heart, in your mind, it's going to show in the way you treat each other. And he continues in this very practical way as you come into verse 29. We're just sort of rolling through the passage. Verse 29, he talks about not letting any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up. Um, the little thing we have in our mouth, that little tongue, is incredibly powerful. It's amazing how you can say something in an unthinking moment and the person you're speaking to will reflect on that and not be able to shake it for ages and ages. You've forgotten. They haven't. The tongue is a very powerful thing. It's incredibly important to think about how we use our tongue. Such a small part of the body, but so powerful. Have a look in the, in the book of James at what he says about the tongue. You can do so much good and so much harm. And as a Christian, living in a manner that's worthy of our calling, we want to take care what comes out of our mouth. It matters. Um, instead of, if you look at verse 30, instead of grieving the spirit, what does that mean? I think if you just look at the context, look at verse 29 and verse 31. So the verses each side. Verse 29 is saying, be careful how you use your mouth. Verse 31 is saying, get rid of bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, malice. I think verse 30 is saying, don't grieve God. Um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit at work in you by tearing people down. That's not the work of God. If the Spirit is in you, you won't do that. Instead of grieving the Spirit, verse 32, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Tearing people down and hate, it kind of cuts against the way God would have us live, the way God's Spirit in us would have us live. It shows a complete lack of understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And so Paul's saying, don't grieve God like that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit like that. So the first few verses of chapter 5 continue on in this, this same um, thought. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. We're just stepping our way through the passage. Um, there's nothing particularly complicated, but it's all loaded and all practical, isn't it? The apostle is insisting that we don't live like the world around us, but that we be different. He's urging us to live lives that are worthy of being called a Christian. And in verse 23, he knows it's God at work in us. Chapter 4, verse 23, he's the one that will do this. So he's urging us not to be hard-hearted, not to grieve the spirit, but allow God to keep transforming us, changing us. Then in the next section, so we're up to chapter 5, verse 3 to 14, um, the magnifying glass goes in on immorality and greed. Why? Because they're improper for God's people. Notice how greed is lumped in with sexual sin and impurity. On one level, you could say that sexual sin has greed at the heart of it. It's, it's taking what is not yours to have. Sexual sin, it steals from another person out of greed and selfishness. Sexual immorality involves taking what should not be taken. And if you think about adultery, it involves taking another woman's husband or another man's wife, selfishly taking what is not yours to have. If you think about fornication, as in sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage, sex not within marriage, it involves you selfishly messing with the possibility of the other person having a lifelong commitment. 
to one person in marriage. It's, it means taking what's, involves taking what's not yours to take. If you think about pornography, it involves exploiting another human being for your own gratification. Yeah, the person um, being exploited may not be someone you ever get to meet, but you're looking at footage that someone else has taken. Selfishly participating in the whole sordid business. Sexual sin, yeah, it's tied up with greed, isn't it? And selfishness, self-satisfaction. You don't fix greed with rules because greed finds its way around rules. That's not how it works. Sexual sin is something which you need to be honest with yourself about. Confess that you have a problem with it. Get help. Stop blaming others for your greed and your selfishness. Um, sexual immorality and purity, they're improper for God's people. And the only way you really beat it is by God being at work in your heart. So keep praying and keep talking and keep getting help. Looking back at 5 verse 3, the way God lists greed and sexual immorality and impurity, yeah, on one level, sexual sin and impurity and greed, yeah, they, uh, the sexual sin has greed at the heart of it. But on another level, still looking at verse 3, we can say greed is no less inappropriate for a Christian than sexual sin. So don't, what I'm saying is don't get locked in on the immorality bit. The greed bit is there. You may not have a problem with immorality. You will have a problem with greed. We all battle it. Greed, um, you can dress it up. You can justify it. Um, you can just trick yourself into thinking you need what you want. But greed's wrong, and there shouldn't be a hint of it in verse 3. Greed is a battle that we all fight against. Um, greed for wealth. Greed for recognition from other people. Greed for just simply attention. We mustn't be greed. It mustn't be greedy and self-serving. Um, the next verse, 5 verse 4, says there shouldn't be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. The tongue comes into this again, doesn't it? And notice again, rather than inappropriate things coming out of our mouth, we ought to be expressing thankfulness to God. As someone who's part of Christ's church, part of the body of Christ, with Jesus as its head, this display home at the centre of the universe that brings glory to God, shows the manifold wisdom of God, brings praise to God, as someone who professes to be part of that, live in a way that is worthy of our calling. It includes taking care what comes out of our mouth, no obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. I remember growing up in a Christian home um, and the youth group leader saying, oh, you can swear because the language just moves that way, you know, it's nothing. Why do you need to play with that sort of reasoning? Why do you have to live on the edge? Just be careful what comes out of your mouth. Don't try to shock people. What's the point? You can see how this part of the Bible, it gets really practical. And we need to be really careful because the motivation for godliness is not a legalistic one. Um, verse 5 gives more reason to put off the old and to put on the new self, more reason to be godly. If you look at verse 5, it says God will judge. So an immoral, impure or greedy person is an idolater. They don't belong among God's people. God's going to pass judgment. God will exclude. Verse 6, don't be deceived. God's wrath comes to the disobedient. It's like saying, don't kid yourself. You can't trick God. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. Don't ignore the truth. Um, we're given more reason to be godly. 
in verses 5 and 6, God will judge. If you look down at verses 8 to 14, the light will shine on everything. You'll see what everything is. Um, Verse 8, once you lived in darkness, now you live in light. So live as children of God. Verse 9, living in the light means godliness, righteousness, truth. Verse 10 means finding out what pleases God. In verses 11 to 13, the light exposes everything, makes everything clear, shows it for what it is, reveals the evil that lies behind it, cuts back the lies and the deceit that shroud it, exposes the lies of Satan. And then there's the quote in verse 14. It's not attributed. Um, I'm guessing that Isaiah might be behind it. The quote simply expands on the point that's being made. And then the final section, we're, we're rattling through this because it is long. The final section, verses 15 to 24, returns to where we started. The apostle urges us to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Remember where we started in verses 17 to 19? The person without God, hard hearts that make them ignorant, futile in their thinking, following after lusts, desires, feeding their greed, foolish, short-sighted, blind. That's not how we live as Christians. Have a look at verse 15 of chapter 4. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart, from the heart to, your, to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you look through verses 19 to 20 of chapter 4, there's joy that comes with living in the light, comes with living God's way, walking in the truth. There's thankfulness. It's a good way to be. Why would you go back to how you once were? This part of Ephesians, it's spelling out for us what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of your calling. Last week, um, the, the passage zoomed in on how you treat each other, how you behave in church. This week, it's getting real personal. It's talking about us, the way we behave. Godliness is not a matter of rule keeping, legalism. Godliness comes from understanding the gospel. It's an outworking of the truth of the gospel as God is at work in us. And that's why the apostle took, I think, why? He took three chapters to explain the gospel before he started telling the Ephesians how to live. Because that's where the motivation comes from, from understanding everything that Jesus has done for us. Godliness comes as you grow in your understanding of God's love, of Jesus' sacrifice. And godliness comes as we allow God to transform our minds and hearts. The transformation happens from the inside. You, You cannot fake godliness just like you can't fake sincerity. You can't fake being godly. You can't fake genuine trust in Jesus. It's evident in your behavior, but you can't fake it. It's from inside out. So let's pray that God would continue to work in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that it's only you who can change our hearts and our minds, and we ask that you would be doing that again even today. But please open our eyes to the light of the gospel of Jesus. Please soften our hearts. Please correct us and change us, we pray. We pray that as a church, we would be a church that encourages each other to grow in this way. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.